0: there are 11 verses in the first the first 11 verses of Hebrews 4 I want to talk to you about today. I want to take you through these wonderful truths, these wonderful verses. Let's look at them together. Hebrews chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And verse eight says, for if Joshua had been given, uh, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Our precious Heavenly Father, we do praise you. May the praise of our hearts ring true this morning, just as we had opportunity to sing praises, powerful reminders from your word of who you are, why you sent your Son, and the fact that his sacrifice makes it it possible for all who put their faith in him to be ransomed from their sins. And for that, we praise you. And then we come to your word today, and we know that it is life to us who believe. Lord, I pray, open our eyes to see, to hear, to believe, and obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We noted last week that God's word repeatedly gives believers assurance that there is no reason for fear in this life if, if they fear God. And by fearing God, I mean placing your faith for the forgiveness of your sins in His Son, Jesus Christ, and then having been saved from your sins, you now reverently seek to obey God's Word. This is what it means to fear God. First of all, if you you come to your senses, first of all, in your sin and say, I must obey and trust in Jesus. It's the only way for me to be forgiven my sins. That's the first step of reverent fear of God. And then, once God saves you from your sins, you begin to keep you. you keep fearing God. You reverently fear him and obey him. You seek to obey his word. And when you rightly fear God, his word tells you that there is no reason for any other kind of fear in this life, praise God. Right? If you, if you trust in God's word, you believe in his son. And if you believe in his son, you have no reason for fear. But at the end of chapter 3, go back up to verse 19 in chapter 3. At the end of chapter 3, we heard this clear warning. So we see that they were unable to enter because of, what's the word? Unbelief. Unbelief. Who was this warning about? It was about the Israelites, pointing back to what we know from the Old Testament, because they did not believe God's promises. He did not allow them to enter the promised land of His rest. He did not allow them to enter that land that He promised to them. And then, as we saw last week in Hebrews 4:1, and just read, "There is a rest." There is a rest and it's still available. It's still available to you and me. Therefore, verse one, four, uh, chapter four, verse one, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, what is God's rest? For believers today. Well, for believers, there is an eternal rest. Heaven, right? It's what Jesus spoke of in John 14, verses 1 through 3, when he told his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. You see, this is a repeating theme from God's Word. There's no reason to fear if, follow along, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. You hear the connection? There's no reason for fear if you believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 2, John 14, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And so for believers today, there is an eternal rest, and it's found, get this, listen carefully, it's found only through faith in Christ. You heard You heard in this passage that like God rested, we need to rest. Like God ceased from his works at the end of creation, and I believe that to be a literal seven-day creation time period, literal 24-hour days, okay? At the the end of those days of creation, God rested. And And the passage we just read here in those first 11 verses of Hebrews 4 are saying, and now we rest. We need to cease from our works. And that's why I emphasize the importance of this thought For believers today, there is an eternal rest found only through faith in Jesus Christ. Do not think that you can perform some kind of works to earn salvation. You cannot. And this has always been true. This has always been true. God gives his grace. God shows his mercy, and he gives forgiveness of sins on the account of of his goodness because he is a good and gracious and loving God, and he gives it to those who believe in him, who trust him, who have faith in him, and not for anything that they have done, no works, no no nothing. And when you come to the New Testament, you see you see. sometimes we we think, well, there's baptism and there's salvation, and sometimes people say, well, I've got to be baptized to be saved, and I say, no, that's not what God's word says. God's word says get baptized. What Pass through the waters of baptism. God's Word says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. And because you're saved, you should pass through the waters of baptism. That's why I challenged you last Sunday at, at our communion, that if you're willing to take the Lord's Supper, you should also be willing to pass through the waters of baptism, right? But please hear me. I'm not saying you need to pass through the waters of baptism to be saved. You pass through the waters of baptism because you are saved. Because Jesus saved you, and you want the world to know. The witnesses who come to, to observe you being baptized witness to the fact that you say, I'm a believer, and I want to pass through the waters of baptism to, to make it clear. Because of what's changed. I have a new life, a new heart through faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. So there is a rest available to us today. And we dare not miss it. We ought to be so concerned that we not miss this eternal rest available to all who put their faith in Christ so that we do, as we heard back in chapter 3, are you still there? Look at chapter 3 again, verses 12 and 13, where it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But I, but exhort one another, verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so I'm saying that we ought to be so concerned that we not miss this eternal rest available to all who put their faith in Christ, so much so that we do everything in our power to keep encouraging each other. Keep encouraging each other. So, So we ought to be so concerned for one another that we are always challenging and encouraging one another to put and keep our faith in Christ. This is one of the reasons we have more than more than simply a morning worship service on Sundays. Maybe you wonder, why in the world does the church have all these meetings? It's one of the reasons. This is one of the reasons because of what we see there in chapter 3. Exhort and encourage one another. Lest you, chapter 3, verse 1, lest you drift, right? So that's one of the reasons we have more than one service. We have a regular need. If you're God's child, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have a regular, ongoing, constant need to be challenged in your faith, to keep believing and keep obeying and encouraged in your faith, to have faith in God, to believe and obey God's word. So we have Sunday school. We have a Sunday school hour. Some of you came for that this morning where we study the Word together. We have a Sunday evening service where we gather once again to encourage one another in the faith, to be challenged with the Word of God, to keep believing and obeying God's Word, right? We have a midweek time, Wednesday evenings, where we once again come back together. It's a little bit different, but it's much the same in that we come back to the Scriptures, we challenge each other to keep believing and obeying and trusting God, right, believing and obeying His Word, trusting in Him. And then we put it into practice because then we share prayer requests and we pray. Because what is prayer if it's not faith? If you're not praying to a God you know lives and and cares for you and answers, hears and answers your prayers, so we practice what we preach on Wednesday nights when we go to God in prayer saying, Here here we are, Lord, with these challenges, with these problems, with these issues, with these concerns, with people's lives, with people who need Christ. We're going to bring them before you again and again and again and again, asking for your help, God, because we trust you, and we know you're mighty and powerful, and you answer prayer. And then once a month, the ladies get together as they did this past Tuesday for a time of encouragement and challenge from God's Word and to share prayer requests with each other. Again, challenging and encouraging to keep believing and obeying God's Word. And then once a month, the men gather together for a time of fellowship and challenge, not to mention breakfast, from God's Word. But the point is, why do we do that? To keep challenging and encouraging, to believe and obey God's Word. To have faith in God. These really are all times of exhorting one another every day, as long as you still have another day to live and breathe, that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And you may not think you need all that encouraging. And you may not need to be here every time we meet. But let me challenge you, you may need it more than you think you do. So again, verse 1, chapter 4 says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. You see, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, if you've turned to God and repented of your sins and believed in his Son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, trusted in him for the eternal salvation of your soul, you have no reason for fear. But if you are an unbeliever, if you are taking what I share with you from God's Word and you say it's hard to swallow, I'm not sure I believe it, you have every reason for fear. God wants you to fear. Why? Because He loves you because there is rest available to you through faith in Christ. and You should be very concerned that you would miss entering that rest and you will fail to enter that rest of God's forgiveness and salvation. If you are like the people of Israel whom God did not allow to enter the promised land, rest, the promised land that was given to them, a wonderful place for them to live where god promised i'm going to take care of you and provide for you a place of rest they failed to enter because of what's the word unbelief so this morning i ask you to think carefully with me about why one should fear and why one should not fear why fear that's seen in verses 1 and 2 and we looked at those briefly last sunday and You probably thought I was half done with my message by now. Think about it with me. Why fear? We see it in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 makes it clear. There is a promise available. There is a promise of entering God's rest, and that promise still stands today. God is patient. He is patiently still offering his rest to all who will put their faith in his Son. Should you you fear missing God's rest? Yes, you should. There's a promise of entering God's rest, and that promise still stands today. So you should fear failing to enter that rest if you are an unbeliever. God does not want unbelievers to be happy, comfortable, and content where they are in their sin, damned. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? I don't think I can make it sound as terrible as it actually is. But there's hope, right? That's what the gospel is all about. That's what God's word is all about. God does not want unbelievers to be happy and comfortable and content in their unbelief, and so there is no true rest for the unbeliever. And if you're a believer, I mean, think about the implications of this. If you're a believer, if you're if you're sitting there saying, this is all true, but I am resting because my faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God if that's you. I praise God if that's you. But if you're a believer this morning, this should cause you to deeply love and be concerned for your neighbor, your neighbors, you know those people who live around you, those people you interact with daily, people you work with, your family, those are your neighbors. Why? Because you don't want them to miss this promised rest for all who believe in Christ, for all who have faith in Christ. You do not want them to miss this. That should compel us to love those who need Christ. They are not your enemy. God loves them. And He wants you to point them to His Son. But how can this be the same rest that God made available to the Israelites? Because this passage talks about the Israelites and talks about their rest and how they missed it. How can, how can this be the same rest that God made available to the Israelites? Wasn't the rest they missed Wasn't that the promised land, a place? Well, yes and no. Yes, they certainly missed out on the promised land rest because they did not believe God, and God did not allow them to enter that promised land. God sent them off to wander in the desert because of their unbelief. That is clear. The promised land was not intended to be the final resting place of God's people. Think of it. No, what the promised land ultimately pointed to was God's eternal rest. You see, that's what the Old Testament is helping us see, pointing to, constantly pointing to God's eternal rest. And then in the New Testament, the the one in whom it's available is is revealed. You see, God's salvation rest for all who believe in him is what the promised land ultimately points to. Now, how do we know that? Well, because of what we see in verse 2. Listen carefully. Look at verse 2 again. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Did you hear that? Good news came... Did you hear that? Good news. Good news came to us just as to them. Or we could say it this way, we have had the good news preached to us just as they heard the good news preached to them. Now what good news could they have possibly heard? Well, what is it you think of when you think of good news in biblical terms? Are you like me? Do you think gospel? When I think of good news, I think of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, isn't it? But wait, you say, they could not have heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They couldn't then, because he was yet in the future. And he was. But God, get this, God has always, always been all about Declaring to mankind the good news of his loving kindness and grace on all who believe in him. God has always been about declaring that. Dr. John Piper, pastor and author, Dr. John Piper says of Hebrews 4 2 that this is one of the clearest verses in the Bible that there is gospel in the Old Testament and there is gospel in the New Testament. And it's the same gospel, although the massive foundation of the gospel had not yet been laid in Jesus Christ crucified and risen. You see, they didn't know Jesus Christ crucified and risen yet because it hadn't happened yet. But God was all about declaring his love and mercy and grace for all who believe in him. And he has always been about that. And you might wonder, well, what was the gospel in the Old Testament? I thought the Old Testament was was the law. We don't like that word, right? It was the law of God. How can that be good news? How could the Old Testament contain the good news? Let me give you just an example from the Old Testament. Listen to Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, which, as John Piper says, is the centerpiece of the law of God. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Listen carefully. The Lord, the Lord, a god Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You probably didn't even have to listen carefully, did you? Did you hear it? Doesn't that sound like the good news of the New Testament? It does to me. Sounds like the good news of the New Testament. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. So we hear it there in the Old Testament that at the center of God's law is forgiveness of sins. Praise God. And that's gospel. That's good news. And the people of Israel had heard it. They had heard it. They knew it. But you can know something and not believe it. I mean, you can have an intellectual knowledge about something. You can be aware of something and not believe it. But that's not all that they had heard. They also had heard the promise of God's rest. We can hear it in Numbers 14, verses 8 and 9, as Israel Israel is getting ready to enter the promised land and they send out the ten spies to do a little recon on the promised land. And eight of these spies come back disheartened and defeated and faithless. Faithless, saying that the people there, they are giants. They'll slaughter us. They're huge. We'll never survive there. But two of the spies, two of the spies have faith in God, Joshua and Caleb, and they say otherwise. They say, Numbers 14, verses 8 and 9, If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us, He, talking about God, right? He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey promised land of God's rest only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people do you hear that do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us do not fear them do you hear that there that there's no reason for fear if you believe God If you trust in God, no reason for fear. Again, we hear it here, don't we? Joshua and Caleb had faith, and they believed God. And they came back and said, don't listen to those eight. They came back, they had faith, and believed God, and knew that faith in God meant no fear of man. Do not fear those giants. They're like bread to us. They'll crumble in our hands. Why? Because God is with us. And with that knowledge, they did not fear. And so we see that they were, says Hebrews 3.19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief, because they sided with the eight instead of the two. God's gospel, God's good news, did them no good because they did not believe it. And this is what we hear God saying to the people back in Numbers 14. And this is tragic. Verse 29, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb and Joshua, the two spies who believed. But your little ones who who you said would become a prey, I will bring in and they shall know the land that you have rejected. How did they reject it? Unbelief. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. And that, that is a vivid illustration of all who fail to enter God's rest, who live now in this world if they do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This could be you. If you do not believe in Jesus, this will be you. And if those who wandered in the desert for 40 years did not ultimately put their faith in God, if they didn't ultimately come to their senses and put their faith and believe in God, they missed God's eternal rest because God's eternal rest has always been available to those who believe in Him. God's salvation is what they would miss if they didn't ultimately trust in Him and believe in Him. You see, the Old Testament times, just as in the New Testament times, and just as today, eternal rest. God's salvation, God's forgiveness of sins, and God's grace was and is available, but only by faith. So fear unbelief. And that's why we heard from the writer of Hebrews back in chapter 3 and verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house, As a son, and we are his house, if if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What's that? That's talking about your faith. Hebrews 3.14, for we have come to share in Christ, if if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. What's that? Your faith. Hebrews 3.19, for a contrast, so we see that they were unable to enter Because of unbelief. What's that? Lack of faith. Believers, believers, talking to you if you're a believer, do not take lightly your need for constant encouragement, constant fellowship, constant challenge from your fellow believers to hold fast to your faith. Be Wary of even appearing to have no faith. Not because, please hear me, not because you might lose your salvation. God's Word does not teach that. It teaches just the opposite, that those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are saved eternally. So I I don't say be wary of even appearing to have no faith because you might lose your salvation. I say no, not that but because if you fall away from the faith, it will prove that you never truly believed in Christ to begin with. So fear unbelief, says Hebrews 3.19 and chapter 4, verse 1. And as we're reminded by the challenge of chapter 3, verse 13, cultivate a strong confidence in the Lord by exhorting one another every day, as long as it's still today. And that is why pastors are supposed to preach. You realize that's why I keep doing what I'm doing? I keep preaching to you every Sunday? Not because it's, I'm telling you something you've never heard before, but I'm telling you something you need to hear again. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed when I hear myself saying it because I needed to hear it again. 2 Timothy 4 says, preach the word, preachers, pastors, teachers, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And that's not a vicious and mean kind of thing. Please don't hear it that way because it goes on to say with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And we see so-called churches all over the place doing that, wandering away from the truth. That, That should scare the people in that make up those churches, that they are wandering from the truth, that they, they should get back to the truth. We should never depart from it. We should preach the word, right? We should believe God's word. We should obey God's word. We should have faith in God because believing God's promises produces fearlessness. And that is a reminder, as and we see it here, that there is a reason for being fearless. Why should you not fear? That's what we see in verses 3 through 11 here in chapter 4. And I, this can be a challenging passage. You just, maybe when I read it earlier, you're like, whoa, how does this make sense? This can be a really challenging passage. It's encouraging to me. I feel like a a real imbecile sometimes and I read it, and I'm like, whoa, what's going on? And so I started studying it for the last two weeks I've been combing over this thing and, and every everybody I read says, This is really hard. I was like, oh, okay, that makes me feel better. <laughs> I thought it was just me. But let me try to explain it to you in the way that I see it, and I'm usually pretty simple, so you might see it more deeply than I do. But I think this is this will convey the basic meaning of this these verses here. The way I understand this complex passage is fairly basic, but I, but I think it's true. So, so why should we not fear? Because, and you can see it in verses 3 through 11, because there is rest. There is rest. If you fear unbelief rightly, you will believe God's promises and he will make you fearless. The writer here calls it rest. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. For we who have believed enter that rest. Belief, rest. That's the good news of the gospel. That's good news, gospel, rest. That's for all who believe in God. In the Old Testament, they didn't know about Jesus, but they knew about God. It goes on verse three, as he said, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, that's going to be quoting from psalm ninety five as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day, it's not like the writer didn't know where it was, but but the writer's referring back to an old testament passage, and there were no Verse, chapter numbers and verse numbers then. So, verse 4, 4, He has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And the writer is now pointing back to what God says in Genesis. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So, in other words, God has a rest. God is a resting God. I mean, think about it. If you know what scriptures say, you know that... that The heavens are His throne, and the earth is His what? Footstool. I love that picture of God. I have my favorite chair at home. It's this monstrous brown recliner. You know my favorite part about it? It reclines, right? And I go pull the handle back, and my feet are up. I'm thinking I might be resting, but God really knows rest, because He sits in the heavens, and His His footstool is the earth. How about that? So in other words, God has a rest. God is not a fretting, toiling, working 24-7, 365, whoever came up with that phrase, uh, right? Because because now we live in a 24-7, 365 kind of era, right? God's not that kind of God. He's not overwhelmed with work. God is a God of rest, That's the truth we hear from Jesus in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, where he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And the writer of Hebrews is pointing to God's rest. That God is a resting God. He's not a fretting, toiling, laboring God. And God's rest is available to all who will believe in His Son. Just like God rested after creation, rested on the seventh day, He makes a rest available to all who believe in Him. And then in our passage in verse 5, the writer quoting Psalm 95 again says, and again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. He's talking about Israel again. That's about the people of Israel who could not enter the rest that God had promised them, the promised land rest, because they did not have faith. And that's what verse 6 here is pointing to, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, do you hear, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And there in verse 7, we're told that that a rest remains. So don't harden your hearts like they did in the wilderness. Don't do it. And then verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on see, eventually, the people of Israel entered the promised land through Joshua. But as we see in verse 8, that wasn't the ultimate rest that God had in mind. That wasn't the ultimate rest that God promised. God, who, God would not have spoken of another day later on, says verse 8. And then in verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for who? The people of God. Who's that? Believers, In other words, there is an eternal rest for all who believe in Christ. And verse 10 says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. And what we're being reminded of is that there is no work to be done to earn forgiveness of sins. There is no work that you ever needed to do or ever will need to do or ever need to accomplish to earn forgiveness of sins and salvation. God makes that available to all who believe in his son. And if your faith is in his son, you will rest and you will not fear. And if there's salvation rest available and relief from fear for all who believe, then as the writer says in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What's that? Unbelief. So believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and rest from your works to earn salvation. And believer, rest. Believing in God's promises. Fear unbelief, yes, but if you get that right, you will have no need to fear. You will have rest through faith in Christ. Praise God. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we... We do praise you, I trust. You know our hearts. You know your people. And you know those who are unbelievers. And so God make it clear in our hearts. If we ought to be fearful of unbelief, and then help us believe. And those you know who are yours, you know our hearts. Help us to live fearlessly. For our Savior's sake, help us to love, live fearlessly for Christ. Help us to rest in Your promises, Lord. You know we live in in a difficult day, but Your believers have always lived in difficult days, and You have always been there, as You've promised to provide and help and encourage and instruct and give wisdom and grace and mercy and Forgiveness of sins. And for that we praise you, and so that we know. We know that you are with us who believe, and we praise you for that, and you promise to help and provide for our needs. So Lord, help us to keep believing you, so that we might enjoy the present rest that's ours through faith in Christ, knowing that we we cease from our good works. It's not that we don't do the things that please and honor you, we want to obey you, I, I trust, because we know that we're forgiven and we can rest. We don't need to earn anything from you. We, we want to glorify you, I trust. So, Lord, help your people to live with these heaven-looking attitudes that want to bring great glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ because there is rest available for all who believe. God, use us mightily as your church in this community. that We might leave this place today refreshed, challenged, and encouraged to love our neighbors, to live for Jesus Christ, to make him known, to enjoy the rest that you've given us now as we await our eternal rest in heaven with you. And we praise you for that. And God, I pray, draw unbelievers to yourself. Open their eyes so that they can see Jesus and believe and enter into your promised eternal rest. Which in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.